Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Hello, everyone. Today I have Sarah Reck with me. She is an anesthesiologist, a mom to four boys, and also a lover of all things fitness. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So you are doing a bunch of cool things, and I really just want to know right off the bat, where has imposter syndrome hit you the most? You know, initially, I would say at work. Um, not anymore, but for a long time earlier in my career, um, I definitely dealt with a lot of imposter syndrome. And in the beginning, I, I didn't even realize what that, what it, that that's what it was. Um, and I've definitely overcome it in the last couple of years. And now I think it's hitting me more in the online space, just because it's really easy to look and see all these people doing really amazing things. And I feel like, oh, I'm, I'm not that good or I'm not ready or why am I doing this? And so now it's hitting me in that online space. And it's, it's just because it's something new, I'm sure. Did you struggle more as a resident or as a new attending with imposter syndrome? Honestly, mostly as a new attending. And it's, it, I was thinking about this. It's, it's interesting because, so I, my story is a little bit different than other people's. I think I went to medical school to become an orthopedic surgeon. And then that was the only thing I was ever going to do. Um, it took me three tries to get into medical school. And it probably started there at some point because, you know, in your head, you're thinking everybody else got in the first time. It took me three tries. I took the MCAT three times. And then I ended up, you know, thinking I was going to be a surgeon, ended up deciding not to go into ortho. And I had this idea in my mind that because I said I was going to be a surgeon, I needed to do surgery. So I matched into a general surgery residency. And I was always, in my head, I was always a little bit hesitant about it, I think because I didn't know where I was going to go with it. Um, and so then I did a I matched a categorical surgery residency and ended up um, switching after a year into an anesthesia residency. And so I think that background a little bit just made me feel like I was flighty. Let's put it that way, because, you know, I had taken me three tries to get into medical school. I felt like I didn't know what I wanted to do. And the truth is a ton of people struggle with this. Um, you know, a ton of people, it's something like 50% of medical school applicants don't get in the first time. So it's not that uncommon. Um, and I think as far as switching residencies, people, people do it. It's just not talked about that much. Mm -hmm. And so, but I think going into it with that background, I kind of felt like people were looking at me like I was flighty. But so at any rate, then I switched into anesthesia and I didn't have any feelings of imposter syndrome, but I definitely felt like in anesthesia, you don't like you spend the entire time in an operating room by yourself with an attending. Like you don't round that often with other other residents of any years, except for when we're in the ICU and so, you know when we're on OB, we usually have a team. But see, so you you can't. It's hard to compare yourself to others. So I think I always had this concept that I probably was average um, because there's just no comparison. You're not rounding with other people. You don't really know how other people are in the operating room. So I think I just went into it with this idea that I was average, but I didn't feel like, oh, I'm worse than anybody else. I'm better. I'm just average. But then my first year, so again, a little bit of a bump in the road, I matched into a um, critical care fellowship. Not matched. It wasn't a match at the time, but I was going to do a critical care fellowship. And it was actually going to go out to Stanford to do it. And I ended up deciding 
they do this weird thing where they do, they'll do a late start for some of their fellows because they want to use the fellows as um, attendings for those first six months so that they can do more one-on-ones with their early, um, their early CA1s. So I decided to move out there. I was going to start my fellowship in January. So I worked for six months and then I ended up um, deciding not to do the fellowship for a number of reasons. So I think, again, this sort of just like played into this whole, didn't get into medical school, switched my career. Now I'm not doing my fellowship. And so in my head, I, I think I felt like I had to hide that from people mm-hmm. um, when, again, the reality is it just is it, it is what it is. Life happens. And that's what happened. I, I um, just decided that wasn't the right thing for me. So when I started my first job, I started in an academic center and it was fine. Um, and I actually worked at that job for seven years. But again, it was, it was a place where pretty much everybody, I was one of the few outsiders. I was one of the few people who hadn't trained there. And I trained at Northwestern, which is a really good anesthesia program. So it wasn't like I had trained somewhere that wasn't well known. But um, it was a very local program. So, you know, all the attendings had been there since they were residents. And so here I come in and I do things a little bit differently because I didn't train there. And so not that people were questioning me, but I kind of got this, oh, that's not how everybody else does it. And you start to second guess yourself a little bit when multiple people are telling you, oh, that's not how everybody else does it. And you're like, but this is how I learned it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it really started it really started there and just this kind of doing things a little bit differently than everybody else that I worked with. And it just kind of persisted, even though people told me like I was doing a great job. So yeah, and I really, it's not like it ever held me back, but it was more just in my own head, this feeling of I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I shouldn't mm-hmm. be in attending in an academic center. And then I, I really think I got over it actually when I switched to my community job, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so now I've been in my current job for three years um, and I absolutely, absolutely love it. So that's such a story I think that so many can resonate with because I think upcoming, like when people think about becoming a physician, at least for me, like it, I romanticized it as like everyone just knows that they want to be a doctor and there's mm-hmm. this, no one ever changes their mind. And I think a lot of people do have those realizations or even get to the point where they pick a, a field, finish residency and then realize this is completely wrong for me and then right. go back and do another one. Right. And I think that some of us feel like we shouldn't change our minds or we just have to like continue through mm-hmm. they should do. So I think your story is even more inspiring because you, despite these feelings of, you know, why am I switching fellowships or whatever again, you did it because you knew that it was the right thing for you. And I think that's what we should be telling people is okay to do. Right. And I think it is. And it's so easy, especially I think when you're one of those people, and I think you're like me, where I knew from a young age, I was going to go to medical school. There, There was nothing else. And going from a place where this is the next step, this is the next step, this is the next step. And then all of a sudden having like second guessing yourself a little bit is definitely a different mindset than what I was used to as an undergrad. Um, And I think just being in a group of such high achievers, like from being, I think all most people who go to medical school as as high schoolers are probably high achievers. Mm -hmm. And now, and I, I, you know, I hear this all the time. Once you get into medical school, you're not the best anymore. Like everybody, everybody is the best when you're part of the top 10% already. And then all of a sudden you're average in the top 10%, you're still in the top 5%, but it's hard to 
make that rationalization because now all of a sudden it's filtering out differently. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a difficult shift, I think, that I never really considered before, but for your whole early educational life, you're rewarded and you mm -hmm. base your value, at least I did, on my grades or my ranking in a right. in college or, or high, high school. And then all of a sudden you're a medical student. And I think that everyone is still so drawn to that ranking system mm -hmm. based on intelligence alone, when in fact, you do at some point have to change that script to realize that your value is based more on everything else than a number right. or a grade. And I think that right. that is probably something that many of us may never even do. Right. Well, and I think too, you know, looking back at it as an early attending, there's a couple of things that you have to settle into. And I suspect this is why a large number of early attendings struggle with it is now all of a sudden there's no, and I definitely felt this, there's no next thing to work for. Like, mm -hmm. you know, is a, is a, high school, you were working to get into a good college. In college, you were working to get into medical school. In medical school, you're working to get into a good residency. In residency, you're working to get into a fellowship. And all of a sudden, there is no next step. Like, mm -hmm. this is the reality of the rest of your life. And you have to settle into that a little bit and figure out, you know, it's not necessarily about having the big academic job or getting into a place with a big name. Cause I think we all kind of work towards that. And there was definitely that feeling for me of like, Oh, okay, this, this is it. Um, what's next. So being able to realize that you don't have to keep comparing yourself to everybody else because you've made it, <laughs> mm -hmm. you actually finally made it right. It's a delayed gratification because you're 35 years old when you finally make it. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like you don't know what to do with that feeling. So I had exactly the same struggle. And I think that's part of the reason why I ended up like really feeling burnt out and mm -hmm. almost leaving medicine because it was, I didn't know what to do with that question. Like I expected that I was going to feel exactly like you said, like I had made it, this is it. My life is complete. And I felt none of that. I felt empty. Right. Well, and I think it's because no, no one cares, right? And not that mm -hmm. nobody cares, but everybody is in that same place that you are. Like they, they graduated and now this is just life. So it's not this big celebration or there's no accolades. It just, it just is. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you kind of have to figure out the personal, what that personal gratification is where you're going to go with it, whether it's exactly. just, you know, doing what are, you know, pursuing an academic career or being happy with your family and having the work-life balance or pursuing, you know, something outside of medicine, which I think is why we see so many physicians in the online space now, because they're trying to figure out, you know, what is my other passion? Because I've spent the last 15 years working towards this passion in medicine and now, yeah. now I'm settled yeah. there. And I think that for many of us, we assume that the, our fulfillment and our meaning is going to come solely from our job as a physician, but that's impossible, I think, for many of us right. for it to be true. And if we, we can cultivate our what embodies us as human beings earlier on, like mm -hmm. as a medical student or a resident, I think that we're going to have more physicians graduating and becoming attendings that are more satisfied with their life in general and therefore right. can feel better and more fulfilled in their career. Right. The comparison, like when you were a resident, you just, since there was no comparison that you felt just that you were average, 
has comparison ever been negatively impacted you? Like in what way? And like the a mindset or like a mindset? Yeah, like comparing yourself to others and thinking that you're not as good as them or not as far along as them, anything like that. I think I definitely felt some of that. And again, it's really hard in anesthesia residency because again, you don't you don't work in teams that often. Again, like when we're in the ICU and we're when we're on OB, you do, but it's still pretty individualized and it's still pretty one-on-one with an attending. And I think I just felt average. And like I said, to go from a place where you're not used to being average because again, high school, you got into medical school and then all of a sudden to feel that way. I think I just always felt like I wasn't doing enough, like I needed to be to be doing more. Mm-hmm. And I definitely felt like that when I came out as a new attending, like I felt like, oh, I should be reading more. I should know more about this. I should know everything. I think that was my feeling as a new attending is I should know everything. I just finished residency. And I think that's another important thing to note is that as a new attending, your learning curve is probably steeper than when you were a resident because mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you have to figure out how to do this on your own. Not that there aren't ever other people to call because we, I still sometimes ask partners for help. I think we all do. But I think overcoming that is actually what helps you overcome that imposter syndrome a little bit because I can recall being a new attending and feeling like I should be able to do this all by myself. Um, and once I finally got to a place where I could say, no, it's okay to ask for help. Like that's knowing your limit. That's actually probably Mm -hmm. more important than doing it yourself. I think once you can overcome that is really when you start to overcome that imposter syndrome, like saying like, I would get this feeling of imposter syndrome when I would call consults. Like I'd have a patient who flipped into AFib or in the operating room and I'd have to call cardiology. And I felt like an total imposter. Like they were saying, like, you know, they, they could go through their normal set of questions, just trying to figure out what was going on. And I felt like in my mind, they're questioning my judgment Mm -hmm. as opposed to just they're just trying to gather their own information. And so I think recognizing that, you know, I'm not, I'm not a cardiologist. I don't do that for a living. I recognize AFib. I know when to call it in the operating room. I know what to do about it in the OR, but having somebody else manage it and figure out why it happened is outside of my realm of knowledge. I didn't train for that. And just, I think being able to say it's okay to call the consult because that's actually their area of expertise. I wouldn't try to deliver a baby because I haven't, haven't done that since I was a third year medical student. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's no reason I should feel like I have to have that knowledge, but I would get a lot of that when I started to call consults for things. So I think being able to step back and recognize I don't need to know that is when it really started to to hit to me like this is okay I'm not an imposter I just that's not what I train for that's why we all have different specialties and that's why you do a four-year residency or a three-year residency yeah so. I think that's such a great point because so many of us feel inadequate and we have to ask for help mm-hmm. and I agree that knowing your limit is what makes you even better at your job mm-hmm. it's such a big deal Definitely. It doesn't, and, but I think a lot of us feel like a failure when in fact we should be proud that we recognized our limit and right. no one to ask for help. That's right. a skill that I don't think you can really learn until you're in attending. No, I don't think so either. And I think you especially start to see it when you see some of your older partners being like, hey, can you just come and you know, like when we have difficult intubations, I just want somebody else there in case. Mm-hmm. Um, people still do it 30 years into their career and, and it is, it's, it's, knowing that you might need an extra set of hands and doing the safe thing for the patient and over overcoming your own ego a little bit. Yeah, that's so, so. true. You mentioned at the um, beginning that now that you're venturing more into the online space, that those thoughts of imposter syndrome have creeped in a bit. What have you done to um, combat those thoughts? I think mostly I just have to tell myself that 
everybody's at a different place. It's really easy to compare where you are versus where somebody else is. And taking that step back and just saying, you know, they've been doing this for a year longer or 10 years longer. Um, so they're farther ahead than I am. You know, I wouldn't expect a 30 year medical student to be able to do my job, but I think it's really easy to fall back into that when you, you know, you can get on Instagram or Facebook and you see somebody doing X, Y, and Z, but they've been doing it for 10 more years than you have, or they have a different background because they have an MBA. And so I think I really just have to take that pause and say, I'm where I am and they're where they are. And you just have to let that be. That's really good advice. And I think especially on social media where everything seems so polished and perfect on the other (laughs) end, that reminder is helpful. It is very helpful. Um, I'll have to admit that, you know, seeing you and you know, really experienced moms, which I think anyone who has children is more experienced than me. But I really struggle, I think, with imposter syndrome still as a mother. Do you ever have any of that leak into your mothering ability? I used to. I don't as much anymore. Um, I think definitely with my first child. And I think it goes back to that whole perfectionism. Yeah. And I think that plays into imposter syndrome a lot too, this whole idea of perfectionism. And I'm type A personality, total perfectionist. I felt the need when my first was born to really be the perfect mom, the Pinterest mom who did it all and had the perfect this and the perfect that. And your own baby food. I did make my own baby food. That was more, I did with all of them, but that was more just kind of that's just who I am. Um, And I found it easier than going to the store and buying it. it Nowadays, it probably is. (laughs) Yeah, I just throw it in a blender. Um, Right? (laughs) But with each child, it abated a little bit. And I think with taking that step back and saying, I am who I am. And I'm not the Pinterest mom. I am not, I am not an arts and crafts mom. And once I was able to finally just accept who I am, it became a lot easier. And like you said, realizing that what people are posting because social media is so prevalent and I think it really plays into this whole concept of perfectionism and imposter syndrome because Mm -hmm. you see what somebody else is doing but you forget that it's just a snapshot in time I mean you can see my office behind me it's a it's a mess but you know you'd never post that on social media because it's a mess and it's so easy to look at other people and look at that snapshot and say wow their life is perfect Mm -hmm. and the reality is it's not they're you're comparing one thing and they're probably saying something about you. That's like, wow, look, she has it all. Like people probably say that to me about fitness. Like I have it all together, but it's all a matter of what's important to you and what you're going to prioritize. And I think you do a really good job in general of just like not completely subscribing to the facade of perfection. Like I really think that you are very clear and humble and this is your, like you have, everyone has their own struggles. And I think that's, the most important thing is finding people online, especially who are going to give you both sides of it, like give you really good advice about how to be a mom to more than one child at a time, but also say like, I don't have it together every second and you don't have to either. Right. And I I appreciate you saying that because sometimes I I don't feel like I do a good job of that, but I try to because I think, and I, I say this all the time, like my life is it takes a village. You know, people at work ask me all the time, wow, how do you do this? And I work a point eight, which we all know as a physician is really 50 hours a week, Yeah, but it's a point eight. And people say all the time, wow, I can't believe you work full time and have four kids. I'm like, yeah. And it takes a village. I have a husband who picks up a, a ton of the slack, 
Um, I have in-laws who live close by. I have an aunt, a sister who live close by, and I have a nanny who pretty much runs my household. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is not me all by myself doing that. And I think it's really important for people to, to recognize that, you know, I'm not doing it all. Somebody cleans my house and you have to figure out again, just the same thing with, with, with work, you have to figure out what your limit is. And I, at one point finally said, it's not worth my time to try and clean my house. Like it's more worth it for me to pay somebody to do that. But having other people understand that this isn't all me. Again, I, I, there's certain things I prioritize and there's other things that I say, that's just not that important. Yeah. And that is such a valuable lesson that we need to teach all younger physicians and I think in particular women physicians. And I think it goes back to the whole thing you said about essentially being authentic and just owning like, this is who I am, mm-hmm. here are my limits, this is what I value. And if you don't like it, tough, you know? And I think that we're scared to do that because we want to be likable. We don't want to make anyone mad. But mm-hmm. I think that ultimately when you can really hone that sense of, I love myself and I know what I value, then you end up judging other people less because you want everyone else to feel that same freedom of being authentic. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that when you can get over that and again, just going back to social media, get, get past looking at some of those pictures and re- like, I remember when I first started, especially on Instagram, cause I'm mm-hmm. pretty new to Instagram. I think you are too. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at it and being like, wow, these people look perfect all the time. It took me a long time to realize that those are curated pictures. Those are pictures that people are specifically getting taken for their Instagram feed. Mm -hmm. And once I got past, like, that's just not who I am. Um, I'm not going to go get pictures taken for that. Um, And more power to the people who do. I'm not faulting that. That's what they've chosen to do. It's just not who I am. Um, But you have to recognize that. Like you have to recognize that that perfection that you're seeing is literally a snapshot in time. And it's something that is curated for that, that feed. And that's fine. As long as you know that if that's not who you are, that's, that's fine to be who you are. So exactly. Like that's not you and that's okay. And it's them and it's okay. It's just all okay. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Be yourself. I want to just end with asking, you know, advice that you would have as a physician or a mother or um, anything, fitness junkie for the younger physicians about overcoming imposter syndrome and these feelings of being a fraud. Yeah. So I think as far as, you know, being a physician, I think just, like we already said, stepping back and asking for help um, and recognizing that at the end of the day, the most important thing is that you recognize your limits, that it's okay to ask for help and that nobody knows everything. You know, we, we all have a specialty. We all train for that specialty and nobody is asking you to know everything. Um, so keeping that in mind, I think is really important that it's, it's collaborative, right? What we do is collaborative as far as, you know, an imposter syndrome from being a mom that I think is in some ways it's almost harder because it's so prevalent now that you have to do everything and it has to be perfect. And like you said, you have to make your own baby food. You can't have screen time. There's all these unwritten rules that society Mm -hmm. has put on us as far as what you should and shouldn't do as a mom and just really just stop comparing and stop 
stop reading those things and you need, you do you. I think that's the most important thing. I, I say this a lot with fitness. In fact, I was, I was talking to somebody else on Tuesday on a different podcast interview. And I said, I think for me, the most important thing is just taking that step back and saying, I, so when I work out, I like hard, intense workouts. That's who I am. That's who I've always been. And for a long time, I felt like, oh, I really should start incorporating yoga because everybody loves yoga and everybody Mm -hmm. raves about it. I tried. I've tried. I hate it. I hate yoga. (laughs) And when I finally just said, it's not my thing, (laughs) I'm not even going to try, it became, I became so much happier because I just, I need to do what works for me and other people need to do what works for them. And I think that's just really true in everything in life is you can't, just because somebody else likes it doesn't mean you're going to like it. And so you have to do what's right for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it's funny because I have a friend, um, Angie Neeson, you might, I don't know if you follow her on Instagram. She's flavors for wellness MD. Yeah. So she's a family practice doctor. And she said something really interesting one time that I was talking to her. She's, you know, family practice. And I think if you look in medicine, people kind of, stratify things a little bit they you know they're like oh well oh my god I'm totally you know like family practice and intern primary care that's what I'm looking Mm -hmm. for like primary care physicians are kind of like on the lower level and then like surgeons are kind of elevated right and it's just like this I feel like it's an imaginary thing that everybody in medicine knows like the the more trained you are sort of the higher up on that spectrum you are Mm -hmm. and it's not true because again everybody has their place like I always say I'm so glad somebody wants to be an internal medicine physician because I don't want to do it Mm -hmm. don't want to do that I'm glad somebody else does but when she was a medical student she said people really tried to convince her not to go into primary care because they said oh you're so much better than that your grades Mm -hmm. are better you could do so much better and she kept thinking but like why is family practice not good enough And she stayed true to herself and she went into family practice and she's great at it. She has a job that she loves. She's excellent at what she does. She's found a passion within that field with the the cooking. Um, and I truly think that if she had done something else, if she had tried to push to go into a different specialty, she probably would have been miserable. But she said that she's like, you know, people kept trying to push me to do quote unquote more. And she kept saying, why isn't this enough? And Mm -hmm. just recognizing that you have to do what makes you happy because otherwise you're going to end up being miserable. If you try to follow somebody else's passion, you're going to be miserable. So just owning who you are and what you like is what's going to end up making you happy. I love that. And it's a great place to end. I think that's a good <laughs> mantra for everybody to hear for sure. Well, thank you, Sarah, so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. One more thing before you go. I wanted to tell you about the amazing course I just put together and is available now and live at the lowest price I'll ever offer it. And it is all about how to coach yourself. So if you have been considering getting a coach, haven't been able to commit, worried about the financial investment, or just not quite sure if it's the right thing for you yet, then self-coaching is a really, really good place to start. It's exactly where I started my journey to becoming the confident and fulfilled physician that I am today. And living with intention and living with purpose for the past two years have been working on material that I could offer other women to 
help them to get to where I am because there's nothing special about me. Anyone can feel this way with the proper tools. And that's what self-coaching provides. So it is an in-depth and complete look into self-coaching, including what it is, why it's so important, all the tools that you need to know about self-coaching, and even a special module designed just to help you to solve your biggest everyday problems, including imposter syndrome, which so many of us struggle with. It also includes access to the private Facebook group where you can ask questions or seek support. And the part I'm most excited about is the opportunity to hop on group coaching calls every month where we can talk about specific problems that you're having. It's a safe environment where I can give you some personalized help and support as you go along this course and well beyond. Check out the link in the show notes page for this one-of-a-kind self-coaching course. It's designed mostly geared towards physician women or professional women who are struggling in their day-to-day life with a feeling of lack of confidence, feeling like an imposter, feeling like you're going through life reacting to everybody else's problems and no real direction for where your own life is going. I can help you get there and self-coaching is the way to do it.